0: All right. Wow, it is good to see all your smiling faces here this morning. So fun to be here and I tell you, I'm a better person in the summertime, right? Like you have not heard me complain about weather in a good 3 weeks since the last time it snowed. So, I am I am good to go. Uh, it's so good to see your faces. Special welcome to Pat and Shelly Reddicks visiting with us again this morning. Good to see you guys back in town. Those of you who don't know, Pat led our student ministries for a number of years on staff with us and did a fabulous job there, and so we're excited. They're, they're in Connecticut now, loving on grandbabies, which, you know, no one blames them necessarily, but they're having a good time. Good to see them again. We are this summer working through a series called Nope, That's Not in the Bible. Um, and I know it's kind of going to be hard for you to understand the premise of all this, but we're looking at things that actually aren't in the Bible, hence the name Nope, That's Not in the Bible. We're really tricky and clever here at Newtown Road. Um, But the way this works is so many of us throughout the course of our regular lives are, are inundated with messages from a culture that is upside down and backwards, is not working along the lines of godly wisdom. And like the frog in the kettle, we tend to just kind of be caught along in all of this. And we end up sometimes, if we're not careful, we end up propagating some nonsense, We end up really grabbing, embracing, and believing things that sound good on a practical level, but are not really biblical wisdom. They're not reflective of God's will, character, nature, not reflective of his desires for us. And so we we need to, this summer, begin to work through, what we're going to do is work through some of those phrases and try to bring a more biblical, balanced perspective uh, to them. So we've we've talked about uh, the first week. God helps those who help themselves. Well, nope, that's that's actually not in the Bible, right? Um, and so we 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 looked at that at, at, from a from a biblical perspective. Last week we looked at you have to do what makes you happy. No, that's actually not in the Bible. That's actually the worst advice in most situations. And we we talked about how our hearts are wicked and and deceitful. And when you're, like we said, when you're picking toppings for your Sunday at Stewart's, that might be a helpful um, decision-making rubric. But when you're trying to figure out what to do with big areas of life, what makes you happy is probably the worst thing you can do. Um, And so you need to do what honors the Lord and what's been revealed in His Word. That's that's what you need to do. Today we're going to look at uh, something a little more challenging. I think Um, the the sage advice that sounds good that God won't give you more than you can handle, right? A couple of years ago, my wife in, in, uh, in her, her, I'm sorry. Um, I should apologize. I should clear these things with her before I do this. My wife decided that for her birthday, what she really wanted was a family trip to New York City. So she and I, why are you all gasping? She and I, she and I went to New York City by ourselves the year before and we had a delightful time. And so she thought, you know what would make this so much better? Dragging four whiny people with us everywhere we go. So she said, next year for my birthday, that's what I want. I want a trip to New York City, just our family. And so that's what we did. We drove down uh, to, across the Tappan Zee. Good job, Jay. It was looking good. We drove across the Tappan Zee, got off at Terrytown. We took the train into New York City. So far, so good. Right? We hit Central Park, we had a lot of fun, and then we decided we were going to go down to uh, the World Trade Center site. And when we arrived at the World Trade Center subway station, instantly we saw a 7-Eleven. Right? Now, the site of a 7-Eleven in my house, not for me personally, but for those other five people that the Lord has given me, right? triggers like an insatiable desire, right? There is nothing that thrills their hearts like frozen sugar. So they they say, we need a Slurpee. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like right now, we we have to have a Slurpee. So, hey kids, welcome to New York City, here we go. And so we walked into a 7-Eleven that was about four feet by 12 feet And there were 373 people in there, right? So we we walked to the back to get our Slurpees. And while we walked to the back, there was a conflict brewing between a customer who was obviously under the influence of something and an employee. And my wife and children, so focused on their frozen sugar, missed the fact that there's about to be a brawl that goes down, right? Now me, I think everybody's out to get me. And so I spotted it right away. My radar... My radar is is tuned in tight, right? So they all go to the back and I turn around between them and the chaos going, oh my gosh, how am I gonna get out of here? Like that's my only exit is through there. This altercation got really ugly. And it, there was a lot of racial tension between the employee and the inebriated under the influence of something and, and customer. They started fighting, screaming racial tones at or racial insults at one another. At one point, one of them there were two women. One grabbed the woman by the hair, like, like an old WWE wrestler had her down like this and was like, doing one of these jobs, right? And I'm pleading with this woman, I'm like, please don't do this. You do not have to do this. I'm like, Amanda, get the kids in the back. Like, poor, one of my kids is like crying. He's so upset, right? This is going, this is going down right here. And so it ended with the customer throwing things all over the store and the employer cracking her right in the face. Knocked her cold, right? Bleeding all over the floor, Noah is sobbing, right? We we walk past the thing, I I, I, like stared at these people, like you're kidding me. We walked out, welcome to New York City, kids, right? (laughs) Where our hearts are pounding, right? Fight or flight. Poor kids are still like it was a rough experience. Then later, like, like if that's the end of it, right? Later, we get off the Staten Island ferry and two other dudes are brawling right in front of us, right? New York City, kids. Here we go. So we are walking back to Grand Central later that evening after walking around all day, and we cross somebody laying on the sidewalk who is passed out and under the influence of some substance, right? Foaming at the mouth and laying there. And my children, as we're stepping over, I'm like, Dad, you've got to help this guy. And so what do you do then, right? Amy, you know how this goes, right? Your husband's got one of those hearts. So So I'm stuck there and my kids are like, Dad, the guy. So we call 911, right? 10 o'clock in the middle of New York City. The guy says, where are you? I say, I don't know. Track the phone, right? My kids are, are all nervous. This guy is laying there completely oblivious. The guy comes up, wants to talk to me like I had something to do with it. I'm like, no, no, no. I just walked over him and my kids tapped into my guilt complex. You need to help him. That's what's going on. We finally find New York City. Finally, find Grand Central. Finally, figure out where the entrance is. And we almost missed our train because we were helping this gentleman. And we're racing, I mean, racing down the platform. Me and then five people behind me waving down the train. We barely make it into the train and we sit down. And we're like, oh, thankfully. Whew. We get off in Tarrytown to drive home. And as soon as we hit 87, Drew says, hey, I don't feel so good, and immediately, I mean, we're talking instantaneously, empties the contents of his stomach all over the back of our van, over him, his clothing, his, his siblings, everything, right? New York City, so we stop, we stop at the very first rest stop we can get off at. And I get out. It's about 11.15. I have been awake since like 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm soaked and, and I'm sweaty. I'm angry. All that has happened today. And now Amanda takes a group of the kids inside and I'm left with the van. Try, I'm pouring I'm, you know, bottles of water, pouring off the, the floor mats like throwing out shoes, doing all this. And a gentleman in the middle of the night at a rest stop along the, the throughway walks up to me, taps me on the shoulder and says, excuse me, sir. And I was like, oh no, Mm-mm. no, I got, I got nothing left for you, right? Do you, do you see? I mean, like, I'm, there's puke falling off the ground. I'm like, you're kidding me. Like, he says, and he tells me this sob story about how he's stranded at the rest stop and he can't catch his connecting flight. His cell phone is dead. And I'm like, well, oh, you need a cell phone? Just take it. I mean, I, just, I toss him. To, I don't care if you give it back to me. They'll buy me another one. Here, take it. Right? So I'm doing that. He finally gives it back and we head home. And at the moment, I'm thinking, could this day possibly get any worse? Right? Okay. That has nothing to do with, no, I'm just kidding. All right, have you ever been in those moments where it seems like one event after the other is just piling and piling and piling, and at some point you look around and go, this has to stop at some point, right? Like eventually we, we hit our threshold and God pulls back a little bit. Eventually he, he releases the pressure. Eventually the chaos stops, right and typically now now my situation was humorous because it was a day trip that really all it ended up with was that we had to clean out the van the next day and shampoo it right but but for so, some of you in this room it was relational struggle and cancer and finances and loss of a loved one and it just piled and piled and piled on and some very well-meaning person walked up to you in the midst of your despair and said Sweetie, it's okay, because God won't give you more than you can handle. And you're saying, I'm going to throw punch you right now because I can't handle this. Right? The truth is, that little phrase is not in the Bible. And that little phrase, although spoken from people who have a good heart and mean well, doesn't actually communicate the wisdom of the scriptures to us. There is something far better in those moments. And so this morning, <laughs> I don't have any more stories about any, any field trips we've taken, but this morning we're going to look at that little statement, right? God won't give you more than you can handle. Is, first thing we're going to ask is this question, is, 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 is there a nugget of truth there? Is there some, some grain of truth there that we, we can grab onto? Because some of you might say, No, no, I remember hearing something about that in the Bible. I remember reading somewhere that God would always provide a way out, that I, that I, wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be overwhelmed with something I couldn't carry. Well, sort of. Yes and no. First, First Corinthians 10, verse 13, many of us have this verse memorized. It says, "...no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, and God is faithful." And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's very different than saying God won't give you more than you can handle. That's a very specific thing that God is teaching us right there. And what he's telling us is you will never be tempted to sin beyond your ability to resist. If you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of you through faith in Christ, you have in you, possessing you, the power of God to stand against temptation. And what he means by all that is to say, there's never a time in your life where you can look at God and say, God, I wouldn't have sinned except that you put that in front of me. It's your fault. No, no. No, because in every temptation you receive, there is a way out. There's a way of escape. And God has provided for you, whether that pressure is internal or external, maybe it's in your own heart and your own sin, or something pressured on you from the outside, God has provided you a way to escape. You won't always resist. You will not always choose wisely. You will not always stand in the face of temptation, but you can never blame him for it because he's provided for you a way out. So that's the point, right? And some of us have said, well, if that's the case in temptation, and we've taken it an extra step and saying, well, then God won't give me anything ever that's beyond my abilities. But saying that we're able to resist temptation is very different than saying God won't give us more than we can handle. You see, what Jesus promised was that we would never be alone. What he promised was that he would never abandon you but he did never he never promised that you would have the strength to carry all of the weight that was placed upon your shoulders just that when we're dealing with those varying burdens and blessings we wouldn't deal with them in an isolated way and i guess you could say then in the big picture that from an eternal perspective you might be able to say well it's not more than we can handle or at least, it's not more than God can handle. Because we're told in Romans 8, right, that the trials and sufferings of this life are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Essentially, that, that in eternity, all those of us in the presence of Christ, by his grace, will not be recalling and recounting all the hardships and trials of life, but only the glory of Christ. And when compared to the glory of his presence with us, then all those things will fade into the background. They won't even be worth remembering. So so even though our physical earthly bodies betrayed us and gave up on us, even though we were overcome for a time by the cares and trials of this life, we've been raised to eternal life. So in the end, there there is that nugget of truth that the illnesses of this world, the failures, the trials of this world, they cannot affect our soul's security in Christ. God's grace will preserve us for heaven no matter the trials we endure. But I don't think that's what we mean when we say God won't give you more than you can handle. Very few of us, when we say that, mean, in the end, in eternity, it'll all sort itself out. No, what we mean is something way more pop psychology than that. When we say, God won't give you more than we handle, we mean, hey, you got this. Pat on the back. You can do it. Except you can't, right? We mean, you're strong enough for this. Except we're not. We mean, don't you worry. Everything will be okay. Except it isn't. It's not always okay. That's just just vain hope. That is baseless hope. A little common sense and just a brief survey of your life and the life of people you know tell us that those things aren't always true. Sometimes we don't got this. Sometimes our weakness shines through. Sometimes I would say most times in certain areas of our life we can't do it. And sometimes it doesn't all work out. So I would conclude, and I think you should too, that this really isn't reality. It's a hopeful statement, but it has no foundation. Like me saying I'd love to play quarterback for the Eagles. That's full of hope, but it's not based on any kind of reality. I mean, that's a a cute thing to say, right? And every boy says that when they're a kid. Oh, I want to play quarterback for my favorite football team. That's really cute, right? But the, the number of people who do that are 32, 32 people in the entire world get to do that. Chances are pretty good that none of us in this room get to do that. Don't mean to burst your bubbles, I'm sorry. But how many of you ever set your sights on professional sports when you were a child? Yep. And other than Ken Hayner, how many of us ever actually had the opportunity? No, that's what I'm talking about, right? Because it was a baseless hope. There was no foundation there. It's not based on reality. So what is reality? All right, number two, I want, to, I want to highlight the strange economy of God. The thing, something we need to keep in mind as we're facing these trials and challenges, as we're receiving this kind of um, <laughs> advice, is that God's ways are not our ways, and his plans are not our plans. His desires, not our desires. And he has a way of doing things, and that way is quite different than anything that would be natural or reasonable or logical to us. God's God's way of working does not fall in line with human reason. Ours does, but God's way of working tends to be upside down and backwards, So whatever plan you've concocted, literally turn it upside down and flip it around, that might be closer to what God's planning to do. You see, in the economy of God, death leads us to life. In the economy of God, humility brings us to exaltation while pride and exaltation actually lowers us and humbles us. In the economy of God, weakness begets strength. And in fact, Paul says that in our weakness, Christ's strength is made perfect or complete in us. You see, the way God works is not the way we work. Because if we wanted power and we wanted strength, we would just work hard and discipline ourselves and grow into it. If we lacked a skill, we'd go read a book or take a class. If we lacked a little bit of of, um, muscle tone and stamina, then we would join a a new workout regimen, and we'd we'd do that. If we needed to lose weight, we'd we'd take a diet, and we'd start working towards that. The way we work is, if we see a gap, a hole, a, a lack, we work hard to fill it. God doesn't work that way. Not like that. See, I want to call our attention to 2 Corinthians, we're going to start in chapter 12, 2 Corinthians 12, and we're going to listen to what Paul says about his ministry. I'm sorry, I think I have that wrong. No, I was in the wrong Corinthians, that's right. You know there's two of those, did you guys know that? Alright, we're going to start in 2 Corinthians, we're going to start in 11 verse 23, that's where we're going to begin. Paul talks about his sufferings as an apostle because, remember, people were saying that he wasn't a real apostle, so he had to, he had to boast a little bit for effect of the things that he endured. Look at verse 23 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm just gonna read through till probably around verse 30. He says this. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. He's, he's not boasting for his own glory. He's just trying to make a point here. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, With countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from river, rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and am I not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Jump ahead to chapter 12, verse 9. Paul's talking about this vision and the thorn in the flesh that he received, and he asked three times that it would be taken from him. But verse 9 of chapter 12, he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When Paul defended his apostleship and and the authenticity of his work and recounted the the storyline of the tragedy that he faced, the point in the end was for him to show that the strength of God doesn't come through his perseverance, and his abilities, but the strength of God in his life was displayed in Paul's lack, in his inability, in his weakness, in his frailty. When his resources were exhausted, then, then the power of Christ shone through. And in Paul's ministry experience, and I would argue in ours as well, we can see then that our fruitfulness and our growth in the Lord is connected to this whole process of emptying and filling. where where we are completely exhausted of our own abilities, completely exhausted of our resources, where God sees us in a place of need and doesn't lead us to fix that for ourselves, but actually steps in and fills up what is lacking in us. Because in our inabilities, God's abilities are seen. Because when we have nothing else to hold on to, he's holding on to us because he's working perseverance and endurance and faith in us and the way that God moves in and through us is often in our emptiness and his fullness so what point am I trying to make with all of this that God's work in our lives God's work through our lives is not a work that's focused on our strengths and our abilities and our comfort God's work in our lives is almost always exclusively through our inability, through our need, through what we lack. Because in what we lack, in our weakness and in our inabilities, the power, the strength, the might of God is on display. Third thing today I want to offer is, is there's a hole in this bucket. That, that wisdom doesn't hold water all right? It is not a balanced perspective. It is not a broad biblical perspective. So important here, this isn't the point of today's sermon, but I was talking with one of our elders, Chad Thompson, last night about this. So important that we know our Bibles. So important that regularly, daily, consistently, we're reading the wisdom of God, hiding it in our hearts, so that we can spot this counterfeit wisdom and worldly wisdom as it comes at us so we can have a broad perspective when someone says something like well god won't give you more than you can handle that bit of wisdom if it's true enough god it has to hold water in all generations did it work for the early church did it work for the heroes of the faith and in this case i think that while this piece of advice seems practical enough it lacks much by way of perspective it's ill-informed at best and doesn't have much consideration for the ways that god has chosen to work from the beginning through his church do you remember the story of stephen the first martyr remember full of wisdom and truth chosen to serve the church named among the first deacons a great servant he was full of the holy spirit a man of boldness who most of us would, would desire to emulate right who as he stood in his speech before the Sanhedrin, pulled absolutely no punches, told him right what was going on, incited them to wrath, and they stoned him, securing his place as the first martyr, the first witness of the church. And as he dies, he sees Jesus standing. I wonder if somebody might have come up to him in that moment as he's bleeding out and said, it's okay, Stephen, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. What about James, a pillar of the church, right? Surely this, this foundation of the church of Jesus Christ, somebody as important as him, surely Jesus wouldn't give him more than he can handle, right? We're told in Acts that James is put to death with the sword. Remember that? persecution is being unleashed against Christians James is again one of the uh, among that first wave of martyrs and while Peter was in prison chained between two soldiers convinced that he was next we we are told that James was was put to death with the sword so James's assignment from the Lord as a leader of the church and the circumstances surrounding that position weighed pretty heavy on him and eventually he was executed does that sound to you like he was given more than he can handle That's right, that's right. What about John the Baptist? Do you remember what Jesus said about him? That there wasn't a greater person born, among, uh, born of women? Remember him? Son of Zechariah the priest, the cousin of Jesus, John, who like the prophet Elijah, was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Surely somebody like him, with all of his faithfulness to God, remember, he, he ate locusts and honey, and wore camel's clothes. His fashion sense was a little bit lacking, but but still, surely somebody like that, as he travels and he preaches repentance, surely God would look on him because of all he had done and treat him with favor, right? Surely, if there was anybody who gets the VIP, VIP treatment, it would be John. Did God allow John to receive more than he could handle? Herod imprisoned him, and then after being deceived and trapped in a show of his own glory he had John beheaded, presenting the severed head to his stepbrother and and his wife. So did the call of God on John the Baptist's life and the circumstances surrounding that call, did all of that prove to be a little more than John could handle? You know, of all the disciples, only John died of natural causes. If you could count being boiled alive in oil and exiled to Patmos, natural. Just think about that. These men who turned the world upside down, these people who built the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ. John was the only one who died of natural causes on exile, covered in scars. Was that more than he could handle? And what about the Lord Jesus, whose submission to the Father's will led to his brutal execution? Was it more than he could handle? What about the fact that today, outside of the comfort and ease of Western uh, civilization, our brothers and sisters in the Lord are being persecuted and killed at an alarming rate. Is God allowing them more than they can handle today? Was the challenge and the weight of their death more than they can handle? I would say yes. On an earth from an earthly perspective, yes. From the way that we use that phrase, yes. It proved to be more than they can handle. Because in the providence of God, they were exhausted of all of their resources, even their very life itself, and their lives came to an end. They were overtaken by events and circumstances that were clearly more than they could handle. But we must not forget that in Christ we are more than conquerors. And that doesn't mean that we conquer the enemy standing in front of us right now today. But that means in the end, we get the last laugh. In the end, we are joint heirs with Jesus. In the end, all of it works together for good for them who love him and are called according to his purpose. We are more, more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. But in the weakness, in the weakness of their exhaustion, in the weakness of the emptying of their resources, in the weakness of their last breath, the glory and the beauty of Christ's power is seen. Because even though it's more than we can handle, it's not more than he can handle. And even though it's more than we can handle, it's not more than he can use. And it would appear that many times God is using the greatest trials of our lives, the things right over the edge of what we can handle, to build and strengthen us for the next season ahead. All right, so what? What does all of that mean? I'm so glad you asked that question today. First point, never take a family trip to New York City. (laughs) Never. And if you do, it's on your own head. I warned you. Now, the first point is this. The Bible doesn't promise our ability to stand under the weight of everything that comes our way. Well, That won't sell any books. I'm sorry, I'm not going to... Not going to get a lot of hits on YouTube for that one. The Bible doesn't promise that you're going to be able to handle everything just fine. He didn't promise to never hand us more than we could handle. That is not the Bible's take on the trials of our lives. But number two, God did say some very specific things to us about those moments. And He promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. And we look no farther than the book of Acts in Stephen's death, who as he was dying, Jesus revealed himself to him. He was not alone in his death. He promised he'd never leave us or forsake us, that we would never, ever have to endure those challenges and heartaches alone, that his grace his favor in our lives, his unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor would be sufficient for us in every situation. Thirdly, today, God will most certainly give you more than you can handle. It's kind of the point. He leads you right beyond the threshold of your resources, emptying you of everything you have, and then filling you up with him. That's how trial works. That's how difficulty and struggles work. That's how sickness and illness work. That's how financial ruin works. That's how divorce works. That's how addiction works. He leads you to the end of all of your natural resources till you're so overwhelmed and hopeless and desperate, and then in that moment, he fills up what is lacking in you. You will face life-altering situations. I guarantee it. You will face in your life faith-rattling events, medical mystery, the loss of loved ones and friends, the horrors of addiction and illness in our lives and the lives of those closest to us. And those things will show us sooner or later That we are clearly in over our heads. And if you've never been in that wonderful position, it's coming soon, I promise. Till God shows you that you are clearly in over your head. But in your weakness, and in your frailty, and in your inability, in your limits, there will also be the promise of God's greatest triumphs his greatest displays of strength in your life, his greatest gifts of grace, his greatest revelation of himself. He's close to the brokenhearted. He's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. And he reveals himself more profoundly to the sufferer than to anyone else. You know him more deeply in your emptiness than you do in your fullness. And those of you who have wandered that road, staring death in the face, staring all kinds of trial and calamity in the face, know that he was sweetest to you in that season. You will not face it alone. And one day, let's be honest here, right? I'm a realist. One day we're all going to die. That's it, right? So one day, the effects of sin will finally overtake these temporary... Bo- you probably don't want me to come visit you in the hospital, by the way. One day, the effects of sin will overtake these temporary earthly bodies. One day, our eyes will close in death and they will most surely open those of us who are in Christ in a glorious display of power the likes we've never known right as we are raised to eternal life by God himself proving once and for all that even though we've been given more than we can handle here in this earthly life it is never more than God can handle in the eternal life and never so much that it affects his eternal plans and purposes for us i want to go back to romans 8 today cuz i want to close with this amazing passage from the apostle paul who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword read death? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great life we get to live. And we thank you that not one event of our life happens outside of your care and mercy. Not one thing that occurs in our lives happens apart from your sovereign plan and providence for us. And Lord, even though it feels like on a daily basis we are handed more than we can handle, God, remind us of the joy of our emptiness. Remind us, God, today, that in our complete exhaustion of resources, there we find the fullness of Christ. Remind us again today that in our sickness and our illness and our trials, in the storms and the valleys, there we see Christ for who he is. And even if it overtakes these earthly bodies, remind us again of the promise of the empty tomb. <laughs> that although our bodies will perish, God, our souls are eternal, and through faith, we have confidence that we will rise. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who embrace biblical wisdom, who share it with passion and conviction, who live our lives in such a way as to proclaim that come death or life, tribulation or distress, God will raise me to new life one day. Help us, God to endure and be faithful to the end. In Jesus' name.